Coming up this week, off screen. We meet Morgan. Open wide for a sausage party. Visit Woody Allen's Cafe Society. Live the ninth life of Louis Drax. And brush up on some chiclet. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. And your weekly roundup of the multiplex and the latest cinematic offerings begins here. But we should, of course, start. We got to talk about Doug Lyman real quick because that... yeah, he's he's just jumping from job to job, isn't he? Well, well, he he did the thing that I think every filmmaker has dreamed of doing at some point this week, which is he worked for one comic label, then threw in the towel, went meh, and went and jumped ship and joined another. <laughs> See you later. So he was doing Gambit. And mm. and now he's uh, now he's he's jumped ship. Just asleep, he's dark. left Chan Tay to do his Tay Taying, and uh, yeah, he's to go gone find off another to, director. Yeah, and he's gone off to Justice League Dark, which yeah. is now apparently going to be a thing because if we know anything after the last few months, we know that Warner Brothers handles team up superhero movies really well, better than anyone, Be- better than better anyone. than anyone. So why not get the director who you know famously sort of in- inadvertently <laughs> invented the Bourne franchise, yeah. uh, who brought us Timothy Oliphant as a villain, all fantastic, all fantastic, exactly, and. And gave Vince Vaughn to the world in Swingers. I mean, I, 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 I feel like we're in safe hands. I don't know if you... Is this some sarcasm coming through? Because <laughs> I really... I, I genuinely really like Doug Lyman. Edge of Tomorrow well. was good. Edge of Tomorrow was good. Edge of well, Tomorrow was that, great. That was just one of its uh, 17 different titles. Isn't it now... Or, no, it's now... It's Lived I Repeat now. It should have been All You Need Is Kill. Then it's Edge of Tomorrow. The best title. Yeah. I know my Blu-ray is Lived I Repeat. Yeah, they, like, um, they, they decided to rebrand the entire DVD and marketing campaign. Because so weird. complete sense. So let's no. talk. Let's talk real quick with the saddest news of the last few days, of course. And this is this is to anyone really born in ever really. This is not to anyone of yeah. a certain age bracket. This is for everyone. This is really sad news. Gene Wilder passed away. Yeah. And I mean, obviously he's known for his various collaborations with Mel Brooks. Uh, there was some Richard Pryor, Pryor stuff, yeah. and of course there was the biggie, which about of everything he will ever have done, it was Willy Wonka. He was Willy Wonka. Yeah. He was Willy Wonka to such a degree that even Johnny Depp, in full pirate swagger, yeah. when he became Willy Wonka, him. he wasn't Willy Wonka. Yeah, just no. good not at him. all. And Gene Wilder, a man who could barely carry a tune, just he was Willy Wonka. But it's one of those things. It's like the Bob Dylan thing. Like Bob Dylan cannot <laughs> sing, but no one can do a Bob Dylan song as well as Bob Dylan can do. Exactly, and that's yeah, it. That's what so Gene strange. Wilder had with with uh, with Willy Wonka. Yeah. What, so, what's, uh, what's your favourite uh, Gene Wilder? Oh, it is Willy Wonka. Is that, that, is Willy Wonka? Because I I just feel that is the perfect marriage of actor and oh. material, and I like See No Evil, Hear No Evil, yeah, Speak No love Evil. That. that that was good as well. And I thought that was great. I remember seeing the producers with my dad when I was a kid. And yeah. I was, yeah, that's, that's got to be it. But I've, just... I've got an affinity for, for Mel Brooks as well. I know so. a lot of people champion Young Frankenstein as yeah, well. Yeah, that's great. And, yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's just sad to he passed away this this yeah. last week. Eight, was, 83. 83? Was, yeah. So shall we, shall we see him off with uh, with one of his own, one of his more iconic moments? Of course. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look. And you'll see into your imagination. I love that movie, and I love that song as well. Didn't it get mm. used for an advert campaign the last couple of years? Yeah, it, it did, Sky, but I can't. I think it was Sky. Sky. Think. Yeah. So, oh well. 
Fare thee well, Gene Wilder. We shall miss you. And had he, had he, because he'd been writing a lot the last few years, and he wasn't really doing uh, in front of camera. He was writing anymore. more kind of short stories and yeah. little novels and things like that, which is which is great. And he, he was married for the last twenty five years, and um, of course he had. He was also married to, to Gilda Radner, who passed away years and years ago now. That was a hell of an interesting guy, Gene Wilder. Oh, well. So, on to another interesting older guy, then, who I think is mm. about the same age as Gene Wilder was, Mr. Woody Allen. <laughs> Don't know if it's as interesting. Maybe interesting for different reasons. Interesting for very different yeah. reasons. So, it's that time of year. I'm sure your calendar just has a day circled every year, which is Woody Allen Day. It's got just, a little sketch yeah. of, like, a really anxious little Jewish man. Just <laughs> like, does, yeah. So, it's that time of year. It's time for the Woody Allen film of the year. Uh, which this year comes in the form of Cafe Society and reunites him with uh, Kristen Stewart, reunites him with uh, Jesse Eisenberg. This time around we've got Steve Carell in the mix. And, oh, Parker Posey turns up because it's a Woody Allen film. Mm. What is this thing with Parker Posey? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think I've seen him in anything. Um, anything else you've also got this time around the likes of Corey Stoll. You've got nice. uh, Ken Stott. He, he was in um, uh, Midnight in Paris. He was, yes. Hemingway. He was amazing. Oh, awesome. yeah. forget that. Because it was kind of an expanded cameo, wasn't it, in that case? It was. He was um, great, man. You've got Ken Stott as an elderly Jewish man at this, nice. in this one as well. And Blake Lively, because... Well, we all need a bit of glamour occasionally. And, uh, right, so the general plot this time around is you've got 1930s Hollywood... Narrated, I think, by Woody Allen himself. I can't tell. The whole story seems to be narrated by Allen. And uh, Jesse Eisenberg is uh, a young, uh, upstart, Brooklyn-based Jewish man who has moved to uh, the West Coast to seek a job with his uh, big-shot Hollywood agent uncle, played by Steve Carell. He himself is played by Jesse Eisenberg. And uh, along the way, he meets the girl of his dreams, who is played by none other than Kristen Stewart. Which Does that make this the third time that they've been an on-screen couple? I think more. I think so. Um, you... Ca- carry on. I'm going to count him. Okay, head. you're going to work yeah. that in your head. Um, they become enamoured in some sort of love triangle involving Steve Carell's character, and Jesse Eisberg then upsticks, moves back to New York, and gets into the club scene with his mobster brother, played by Corey Stoll. We have a clip. Yeah, hi, Paul. Yeah, it was a mess down there. Adolf Manjou was threatening to walk off the picture. I'll give you the details of Jack's Friday. You'll be at the poker game, right? Okay, we'll talk then. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm tied up right now. Great. You can't believe the last couple of weeks. Oh. Christ, Ben, it's all about ego. This whole town runs on ego. Yeah, I'm Bobby. Uh, ben is my brother, though, so it's understandable. So, what the hell, what can I do for RPO you? Calling. Hold on. Hello? Oh, Jesus, what? Absolutely. Yes. Lunch on Friday at the Brown Derby. Yeah. And bring Harry, because I agree, Joel McRae would be perfect to play the lead. Absolutely. See you Friday. And don't disappoint me by cancelling with some cockamamie excuse. The weird thing with uh, Steve Carell in this movie is he's not a million miles away from his character in The Big Short. Mm. For one thing, he is constantly on the phone. It's just a period piece version. This film might be the single greatest exercise in name-dropping you have ever encountered in your life. Literally every line of dialogue in this film contains a reference to some iconic producer, star, movie, director, anything. It's a film so in love with old Hollywood that you kind of have to admire it. Um... I said to you before before we started the, the show, I, uh, I, I I liked it, but I view it on a different scale than I view everything else. I view this on that scale that I reserve exclusively for Woody Allen. Woody scale. The Woody scale. The Woody scale. And, uh, which in the adult entertainment business is an entirely different uh, <laughs> scale at all. Yes, um, where police are involved. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, this is the thing. I don't think it's his best. 
I don't think it's his worst. I, I think it's in the upper echelon of the middle. It, I, I liked Irrational Man, for instance. I know you said it's not one of his better ones. Like, I liked it, but I, for me, it didn't touch uh, Blue Jasmine or Midnight in Paris. And that's the thing. I, I liked Blue Jasmine. I think Midnight in Paris, though, is a real benchmark. I think it's the best film Woody Allen's played mm. in decades. Um, this is obviously nowhere near as good as Midnight in Paris. Um, I would say, what was the one with Alec Baldwin, whether in Italy? Uh, to Rome with Love, because that was the year after Midnight in Paris, yes. and it was just, yeah, it was a bit of a disappointment after that. This is better than To Rome with Love, I will say That's that. Good. The thing is, though, I mean, you become very acutely aware the minute this opens with that requisite Woody Allen font and that requisite Woody Allen jazz score, you know, because yeah. he's, he's just gone through his vinyl black collection. Black background, black background white font, you know yeah. the exact thing. So within about two, you know where you are. The cast know where they are. The, the, the cast are so much, because Woody Allen is an institution in and of himself. I would love to see the definitive Woody Allen box at this stage, which is... How gonna, many films has he made? I'm sure it's point. in the... Uh, do you know I tried to work this out? Is it got to be in the, the 50s, sure. Got to be. Gotta be. Yeah. But uh, I, need, I need a Plex playlist, I think, of, of Woody <laughs> Allen films, and I'll watch them all in order. Um, I liked it. It is so perfectly Woody Allen in its own way, but I say it's not one of his best. I would, however, merrily have watched a film, a spin-off of this, centering entirely on Corey Stoll's character, who is a Brooklyn-based Jewish mobster. And he is terrific, and he absolutely steals this film out from under everyone. Maybe that's something that Woody Allen could look into. I think he should. I think he's, he's dealt with that kind of that kind of style before. Only Woody Allen could make uh, very violent mobsters this lovable and goofy, and get away with it. it it's What's absolutely from, brilliant. From the nineties. Oh man, you're asking the wrong. Isn't, isn't Hugh Grant in it? I, I, I dropped out of Woody Allen for about 15 years and then came back in when we started reviewing them. You plug the podcast, I'm going to look on IMDb. <laughs> there you go. So, okay, podcast edition, because we're not going to get a chance to review Chicklet this week, so we're going to save that for the podcast. Oh, and um, so we're going to save that for then. Uh, don't forget, go to iTunes, Acast, uh, Deezer, TuneIn, any of your podcast-enabled apps, and just type in off-screen, and you can download the free extended edition podcast which we put out uh shortly before uh, the actual shortly after the actual broadcast um bit of news for you meanwhile did you know lifetime are doing a britney spears biopic movie yeah i did hear about this actually <laughs> this is mental who's playing britney spears it's some lady from australia i believe is it natalie or natasha something I, I, what, what i don't understand I, I what is this thing in in the entertainment industry at the moment especially in the american entertainment industry if we need a pretty blonde we just go australian and right, yeah. mind you, that works for both genders as well. So as as the Hemsworths, Hemsworths have, the Hemsworths have proven, and Jai Courtney to a much, and, and much lesser Courtney. extent. So we'll leave it there. Then we'll come back and 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 look at the the top ten and and Morgan with the latest film news and reviews. This is off screen, the on screen radio show. And we're back. What was the Hugh Grant film, the, the Woody Allen mobster film? You it's just found? called uh, Small Time Crooks. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll add that to the, to the, to the watch list, and I'll uh, I'll give that a go. Uh, so, shall we? Uh, what have we got then? So we got uh, we got some film news. We got to talk about uh, Jeremy Renner's got an interesting one. Yeah, on. what's what's he got coming up? Uh, Jeremy Renner is going to be <laughs> providing the lead voice, the voice of the lead character in an animated film entitled "Just Just Wait for This: Arctic Justice: Colon Thunder Squad." the best title I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's going to be an animated film about <laughs> an animated film about uh, talking animals who fight to save the Arctic tundra. Yes. And uh, the villain will be John Cleese. Alec Baldwin's in there as well. And yeah, 
this this could be mental. I know that Jeremy Renner's character is going to be talking fox. The fact that John Cleese is in it in an animated film signals alarm bells. Does a bit, doesn't it? Because John Cleese he always attaches himself to these really micro budget animated mm. films that are made for like five pounds and <laughs> have have nothing original and look about as good as the Top Cat film we got the other the other month. Oh, uh, the other month or the one a couple of years ago that was Flash animation. You know what? Both. Okay. Both. Uh, both awful. Oh, never mind then. So should we, uh, should we have a look at what's setting the uh, the multiplex alight uh, this week then? I think we should. Number 10. Mechanic Resurrection. This is a disappointment. Well, I quite 10. liked it. It was dumb and goofy. Wait, and, wait. Yeah. I'm not disappointed in the film. Well, I'm, disappointed the film I'm, I'm disappointed in you, listener. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're saying number 10. You're saying this because I made you watch Blitz the other night. That's exactly what it is. And yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of, lot of love for the stage right now. <laughs> yeah, because you've seen Blitz, which I thought was the second best movie of 2011, incidentally. <laughs> well, and, what was the first? Do you know, I can't remember offhand. I just remember trying to get a hold of Studio Canal and say, listen, we gave this second best film of the year, and they refused to believe that I was serious. Um, <laughs> I didn't realise it was on the merit of fun. But Mechanic Resurrection is has less of the Statham's requisite humour, but it's still pretty good. I mean, having <clears> seen <throat> Blitz, you obviously know mm. exactly how funny Statham could make a film. And and obviously Spy, in which he has actually gone for out-and-out comedy. This is more po-faced, you know, white-knuckle, neck-breaking Statham action. Mm. If you like a Statham action movie, there is no reason whatsoever that you're not going to love this. And you know what? Best of all, it's got Tommy Lee Jones reprising his Under Siege role, <laughs> just under a different name. <laughs> Number nine. David Brent's Life on the Road. Have you, you saw this. I didn't. Yes. Yeah, so have you still not had the pleasure? I've still not had the pleasure. I caught Lights yeah. Out last week. That, oh, you've seen one. Lights I've Out seen now. Lights I have not seen that. I, caught, I had to catch Lights Out and Bad Moms, so I've not seen David Brent, though. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with what I said last week. It's... It's fine for that character, but it would have been better to just have like a 40-minute special on BBC Two. That's fair enough, really. Yeah. And, you know, they are trying to get everyone to pay for the iPlayer now, so why not? Really? Maybe that's the way of getting it. Number eight. And Lights Out, which I've not seen, but you have okay, seen. Okay, well, that was good timing. <laughs> so, it. Lights Out, which of the James Wan-produced sort of, you know, lean, micro-budget horror series, as it were, because I don't think call them all a franchise, because there's so many different ones, you've got Sinister, Insidious, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I, this is by far the weakest. This is weaker than any, either, either Sinister, any of the Insidious movies. It feels very it feels very much like what it is, which is a short film that's been expanded into a feature, and they've they've kind of not really given it much thought beyond, look, we just need to expand this. Mm. And there's a lot of backstory to it, strangely. There's a lot of let's just lay out some some ominous backstory and we'll flesh it out as we go. And the problem is that as it goes, it doesn't make a whole heap of sense. It does squander Maria Bello and Billy Burke in you know, roles that they could have been great in. Uh, about the best thing i say is some of the shocks are quite effective. It is well, well enough shot, and Teresa Palmer makes for quite a likeable horror lead. Number seven. The BFG. Which I like. Did you, you get still this not seen still it. Seen still it. Seen it. I really liked it. I know it's not. It's considered a flop in the year. US and yeah, not over here. So, like, unsurprisingly, really. Well, that's it. I mean, a Roald Dahl movie is not necessarily going to be huge in the US anyway. It's okay when it's something like Matilda, I suppose, way back when. But I don't think now it's not really a a a, a, a thing that translates over. I think. Mm. But uh, I still had a tiny budget though, and obviously it didn't need the effects that this one does. And from what I've seen in the trailers, the effects are really well utilized. The effects are really well utilized, and I really like Mark Rylands as the BFG, and I like uh... I liked him in Blitz. I'm sure you did, because he was in Blitz as well. 
Uh, that film just really is a film that just keeps on giving. It does. Number six. Born Again. Jason Bourne, which, did you hear, this got released in 3D in China and has made people nauseous. No. Because of all the shaky all the cam. Shaky. They've done a oh, post-conversion wow. in 3D and it apparently has driven people to outright nausea, which, hardly surprising. Um, it is Let's Go Round Again. If you like the Bourne series, you're going to like this. Like there is this, yeah. nothing new or less. Nothing more or less. Nothing new added to it it is pretty much exactly what you think is you're gonna get from mm. born five are we calling it born five or born four i can't tell i think it depends on if you are jeremy renner's mom or not <laughs> fair enough <laughs> jeremy renner's mom's like oh this is the fifth everyone else is like no no <laughs> Count fourth, it. fourth fourth <laughs> so um we mentioned uh before we move on then let's mm. talk about because uh, we mentioned bfg yeah uh did you hear about the other B- uh, roll dial adaptation that's coming now yeah, I did. This uh, this, this got me really, really intrigued. I'm curious yeah. at which point you got intrigued, because there's layers to this one. Layers, almost like a peach. Oh. So, this is, of <laughs> course, a, a live-action adaptation of James and the Giant Peach, uh, which apparently is going to be directed by Sam Mendes. Yeah, which is... that is... the point you got excited? Is that the point there? <laughs> I've, got, I've, more... I've got to be honest with you. I saw this news first thing in the morning when I opened... It was like Guardian or IMDb or something. Something mm-hmm. on my phone. And I looked, and I saw director... Sam and then James and Jack Peach and I thought but it was Sam Raimi and I was like Sam Raimi's doing James and Jack Peach and then I looked back like an hour later and I was like Sam oh yeah still good I like Sam Raimi you'd take Sam Raimi yeah. though yeah I'd, I, w- I would have them both well um, <laughs> the point at which I got, I got really excited was when it was revealed that Nick Hornby had written yeah, the script that like, is amazing that, that you, you just sold me Sam Mendes and Nick Hornby yeah. so and this is um, uh, it's going to be a Disney production and, and it's well. a Disney one yeah. so we're following on for the formula from the BFG yeah. and yeah, so that's, that's pretty good of Disney like not to be kind of burnt by by the BFG not to be like oh well, BFG didn't do very well. We're not going to do a, like another Roald Dahl. I think what works in their favour is they already had an animated one, what, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, and that is that popular. That did fairly well yeah, as well. I do that like was that. early Henry Selleck as well, wasn't it? It is, yeah. But I love Henry Selleck. Who doesn't love Henry Selleck? You know, the guy who actually Tim made Burton. The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Tim Burton it. <laughs> the guy who isn't Tim Burton who actually made The Nightmare Before Christmas. If we're calling Nightmare Before Christmas a Tim Burton movie, you must also call Batman Forever a Tim Burton movie. Just saying, you know, just hashtag just, just saying. Just put it out there. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, that Ridley Scott movie, which is a Ridley Scott movie in the same way that uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is a Tim Burton movie. Morgan. What a segue. Yes, Morgan. <laughs> so, well, I say that because everywhere you go, it's from producer Ridley Scott. Yeah. And what that doesn't take into account is that the Rafe Spore Christmas comedy Get Santa also comes from producer Ridley Scott. No so, way, really? Yeah. That's, that's a Scott Free. That is. Scott Free joint. The words from producer Ridley Scott do not mean an awful lot. He puts that on, like, poo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this is, uh, this is uh, directed by his son, Luke, who was actually Luke's a good. second unit director on Exodus and, and the oh, last right. few Ridley Scott movies. Oh, that's pretty sweet. And this is the story of a corporate risk management assessor, Lee Weathers, played by Kate Mara. And it uh, turns out when you want to cast a stone-cold ice queen, look no further than Kate Mara. Mm. And she's very good at it for exactly that reason. Who knew? Kate Mara, corporate assessor, visits a remote research facility where they have created a genetically enhanced person named Morgan, who's played by Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch, the teenage daughter mm. from The Witch. And uh, there's been an accident. She has attacked one of the staff, and the uh, the assessor is sent to see about her um, her corporate viability, her, her was it consumer viability, whether or not they can actually make a profit on her. However, it quickly emerges that all is not quite right with Morgan. Mm. We have a clip. Hello, Morgan. You know who I am? Yes. 
Of course. You're Lee Weathers, risk management consultant at Sinsec. And why are you? To assess my viability as a potential product stream in light of recent events. How are you feeling, Morgan? Not quite myself. Uh, Morgan's been quite upset. I didn't mean to hurt her. It was an error of judgment. I made a mistake. It's okay now, Morgan. It's all right. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. Nice to meet you, Morgan. So, straight off the bat, I mean, without even seeing the film, you can just go into the trailer and you'll very quickly realise this is Ex Machina meets Splice. Mm. It's Ex Machina Splice with Splice, if you get if you get that one. Um, <laughs> yet, yet not half as entertaining as either. So this doesn't have the cerebral thrills of Ex Machina, and it doesn't have the bug house fun it's not good, of, of Splice. Well, that's it. And you watch it, you think, there's a hell of a cast of this. Toby Jones, mm. uh, Kate Mara... Um, uh, Michelle Yeoh, there's a great cast in here. Uh, there's a, a, a near, a, there's a brilliant appearance from Paul Giamatti, who briefly threatens to be the heart and soul of the film before he's taken out of the narrative. You're like, no, no. Does, it, does he turn up to do the Paul Giamatti San he Andreas? Does. He really does. He turns up to be Paul Giamatti, and you start thinking, Paul Giamatti. Ten minutes of Paul Giamatti is about all I've really enjoyed of this. Yeah, I because... watched uh, Seven Five Ryan the other day, and I, was, I forgot that he was in it, and he was doing the Paul Giamatti this is my exposition speech. I'm gone. <laughs> A bit. <laughs> he always does. I had the same when I watched Straight Outta Compton again recently. Right. <laughs> now I need to do that uh, that Beach Boys one. Now all good. I love a mercy. Yeah. But uh, no, the problem is you've seen all of this before. It really, really feels like here's a Black Mirror episode. And we just stuck it on a cinema screen. Yeah. If it weren't for the caliber of the cast involved, and their cast are all fine. Mm. Cast are all great. Anya Taylor Joy um, does this bit where she's doing uh, otherworldly without managing to be seem too robotic, and I thought that was quite impressive. And Kate Mara, brilliantly cast as an ice cold, you know, st- stone cold ice queen, and it all works. The problem is, it's a hackneyed mishmash of overdone sci-fi ideas that you've seen done better in loads of other places, but particularly in uh, Splice and Ex Machina. And the mm. problem is, it all comes together with this. You know, whimper of a twist that you've seen coming from the minute the film started, and you just feel like this is the palate cleanser I would use when I'm having dinner in between Ex Machina and Splice, yeah. and nothing more. And frankly, given the name Scott so predominantly on there, and I should point out, by the way, that one of the uh, Ridley Scott from producer mm. ones is actually the James Franco uh, Ro- uh, Romeo and Juliet Origins epic, Tristan and Isolde. So, so never trust him again. Never trust the words from Un- producer. Until we see Scott. the Martian two back on Mars. <laughs> Don't trust him. Martian two back on the rock. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. And we're back. And so we've got to we've got to talk about uh, the party. We've got to what get party to, is that? It's the sausage party. <laughs> Ain't no party like sausage party party. <laughs> this is going to get uh, this. This is a bit of a difficult one actually to review in one sense because this is a hard R rating for very very good reason, and it was immensely difficult to track down a clip, a mere clip <laughs> yeah. that didn't uh, could reach broadcasting. Have we got a clip of just uh, Seth Rogen laughing? We could just use that. Yeah. Um, no, the clip we've got. We had to bleep the clip twice. 
and uh, that that's the state of things. So right, this you can't have missed the marketing for this one. This is literally the story of sausages mm. and 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 hot dog buns and bagels and uh, just food, just food. food this you is the find story in the supermarket. Food. So talking, walking, anthropomorphic food with celebrity voices—they all exist within the supermarket shop wells, and they have this religious belief. Their their worldview is that uh, that they they get up in the morning, they sing a song about uh, how great it is to be food. And then people come in and buy them and take them to the great beyond, which is their word for outside the supermarket doors. Mm. And they believe that, you know, they go to a better place. The gods take them to a better place. A jar of honey mustard, however, is returned to the store one day and brings with him horror stories of mass murder by the gods. The gods are eating us to make themselves stronger, which is actually true. And so what you've got is one Frankfurter named Frank, voiced by Seth Rogen, and his girlfriend... uh, uh, Brenda. Brenda. I was going to say Bonnie, aren't I? <laughs> Brenda, who's voiced by Kristen Wiig. And you've got a flatbread voiced by David Krumholtz and a bagel, Sammy Bagel Jr., uh, voiced by Edward Norton. And the four go- are separated from their respective aisle and have to go on a journey across the supermarket. But along the way, Frank decides he wants to get to the bottom of this weird rumour he's heard about... The, the the truth behind the gods. Uh, here is a clip of him having been told said truth. What you're saying is is true. I, I I gotta tell everyone. Very noble little sausage, but also very pointless. No one will believe you. I have to try. Everyone will die otherwise. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Wait, do you guys have any proof of this? Go to the dark aisle, beyond the ice. Why? What's in that aisle? Oh, you'll see. But I warn you, once you see that it'll you up for life. Good luck. Have fun. <laughs> no, I don't know who that voice is either. I think that's the only one that I, 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 I didn't know. Because of the three elders, you've got uh, Bill Hader as Firewater. Yeah. And you have to really excuse the race bending on that one. Uh, you've got Craig <laughs> Robinson as... Uh, grits. Grits, that's Mr. It. Grits. He's a box oh, of grits. And then the Twinkie, because they're the unperishables. That's the thing. They're the, they're the immortals, the unperishables. Right, this is absolutely hilarious. We apologise again for having to have a bleeped clip. Um, this is absolutely hilarious. This comes from the team behind Superbad, so you've got Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, they're the, they're the, uh, the frequent collaborators, Jonah Hill as well, and Jonah Hill's also on the voice cast, along with Michael Sarah, along with Paul Rudd, along with uh, uh, Nick, Nick Roll. Kroll, and there, there's just every, anyone Danny who's, McBride. Exactly. Anyone all, who's all, anyone. All the usuals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyone who's anyone, if they've got a cable se- cable comedy series, they're on here. We're yeah. missing Key and Peele, and that's about it. And That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, like everyone that you would usually associate with Seth Rogen and exactly. his brand of app. Do you know what? Jason Siegel is in here. Is Jason Siegel in there? He's not in there. Oh, he's not in I there. I think he oh, must okay. be like, yeah. Ah, well, that's a shame. He's one of the only ones. He has been yeah. missing out on a lot lately. But this is it. It's utterly hilarious. Now, at first, you do raise a bit of an eyebrow because so much of its comedy is derived from mere cursing. Like, the first 10 minutes is just curse after curse after curse after curse. And you're like, wow. Like, I really hope this is going to shape up. But once it actually gets into the swing of its sort of road trip-like story, it really becomes something. And it just goes all out wacky. Um, it's 
brilliantly enjoyable. It is aimed very particularly at a certain level of a certain intellectual level of stoner, whom it then proceeds to lampoon with this brilliant screenplay, which manages to take shots at everything from steroid abuse to organized religion to the idea of the information age to everything. Even the Israel-Palestine conflict becomes a running gag in this film, as debated by a flatbread yeah. and a bagel. They become friends as the film goes on. In, and, in uh, this wonderful, yeah. simplistic You know Hummus? I know Hummus as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hummus is a good friend of mine. <laughs> and it is really, really well put together. You would think there'd be some level of stupidity to this. It's actually quite clever. It is. It yeah. is, though, really, really crude, really crass, borderline offensive, and yet utterly hilarious. It has got heart. It has got soul. And that... What more can you say? It's got heart, it's got soul, it's got dough. You know, it's, <laughs> it's got cash and carry. You know, it's, it's one of the most unusual things you will encounter this year. And yet, if it weren't for Popstar, this would probably be comedy of the summer. Yeah. But, you know, Popstar's we, We've out been there. spoiled in August, haven't we? We, we have. We've been Popstar and this. We were doing kind of good. I mean, you enjoyed it, didn't you? I really did. I really, I was looking forward to it for a long time, and it uh, did not let me down. Excellent. That's good. Shall we finish the uh, the box office top ten then? Why not? Number five. The purge election year. Donald Trump returns. This came in lower than you expected, didn't it? Yeah. Like, I thought this was going to be way bigger than it was. I thought it was going to be higher than, say, uh, War Dogs. Well, that's, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. But I, I liked Election Year. I do think the Purge series gets better with every sing- with every new film. And I, I re-watched Anarchy last weekend. In fact, before you mm. came around I did, actually, house. yeah. Like, a couple of weeks ago. And I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I liked the film very much. That I one was, was what I wanted the first one to be. I said the same. Yeah. The, the thing with, uh, with Anarchy, actually, I watched it back, and you realise there's so many more narrative threads that carry over to election year than you would expect. If yeah. you've forgotten Anarchy and you're thinking of going to see election year, do watch mm. Anarchy first. They were definitely building a world, weren't they? Exactly. There is a lot of, particularly the politics of it, particularly the, the rebellious characters. A lot of the seeds are sown in Anarchy mm. for election year. The, which is not to say that you need it. I had forgotten Anarchy, saw election year anyway, loved the hell out of it. Um, it, it works on that micro-budget, visceral, thriller-horror level. Yeah. And I, I do think there is a genuine franchise that should be allowed to keep going in this. Number four. War Dogs. Which I loved. I really loved this. I love Jonah Hill in this. He absolutely steals it. Bradley Cooper, pretty good expanded cameo. Uh, but it is, I think, Todd Phillips' best film. <laughs> it's a career high for Todd Phillips. This is better the, than old school. <laughs> better than This is the thing, because old school's a great movie and all, but I don't think anyone's championing that it's well-made or particularly, no. particularly visionary. It's just a great comedy for its time. Um, I mean, it's a Fight Club pastiche, if nothing else. Yeah. This is this is more like Lord of War than anything else. This is more like Blow than anything else. It is a lot of fun, and yet at the same time, it. I read the the true story behind it, and they'd hit most of the marks perfectly. It is Jonah Hill's film, though. Even though it centers around Miles Teller, Jonah Hill absolutely owns this in a way that you would think he spent his entire time on Wolf of Wall Street just taking notes. Mm. And I'll save these for a rainy day. Thanks, Leo. Number three. Squad. The squad. The squad. The squad. The squad. The Suicide Squad, which, well, we all know how well Warner Brothers seems to do with uh, villain team-up movies, so, you know, let's have Justice League Dark now. That's just going to work out. Yeah, Justice League even darker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the problem. The Justice League's going to be so dark as it is that Justice League Dark seems like a split yeah. title. So, right, we're just going to talk about problems for, like, 30 seconds, mm. if, that's, if that's cool. Go for it. So, just, why, why would you pit, like, the the main villain, but they pretty much create themselves, Enchantress and this weird god brother person. Yeah. Why would you then send in a guy with ropes, a guy with boomerangs, <laughs> a guy that can shoot well, and a lady with 
with a baseball bat. And some hot pants. And some hot pants. That I mean, I, I don't answer. think she's got anything else in there. No, no, not an awful lot. But it doesn't make a whole heap of sense. And yeah, the problem is nothing in the film makes any sense. No. If you weren't told ahead of time, you would know instantly this is a film that has been tinkered with. <laughs> quite clearly, because it's incoherent to the point of a scene being repeated Actually, three times in sequence. Do you know? Do you know what I heard? Go on. The people that edited it mm. are the same people that edited the trailer. Oh no, that is true. That is actually yeah. true. Yeah, I knew that. Which is just because one of them liked the reception to the trailer. Like the reception for the editing for the second trailer, and they were like, "Well, this is what people want." And just then get, get those guys. So uh, that's that's why it's just it's a montage of a film. Number two, Bad Moms. Now I had the pleasure of seeing this last week. I expected yeah, very it. little, and mm. this, I say this is a movie from the writers of Twenty One and Over. Yay! <laughs> starring starring Miles Teller. Miles Teller. We all know how much I love Miles Teller's early comedic work, which is to say, I've had more fun holidays in Beirut. Factually accurate as well. Um, That's his next film, actually. Yeah, he's <laughs> going to play you in <laughs> Well, he's apparently got the range. Um, Bad Moms amused me more than I expected it to. Um, I think it wimps out a little bit on having something genuine to say. It could have made a real case for the gender imbalance between parents. And instead, it kind of casts itself aside and goes for cheaper, easier laughs. There are a few gags in there which I don't think are particularly well thought through. I think Catherine Hahn is somewhat wasted in a role that doesn't really challenge her. Mm. It's very much a, a role built on the crass, built on things that we know she can do in her sleep, and yet we've seen her do so much more in the past. I, I want to see smart Catherine Hahn. I want Catherine Hahn from Parks and Rec. That's what I want to see Catherine yeah, Hahn doing great. on the screen. She's, great, she's so good at that. And this just feels like slumming it. I do think Mila Kunis was, uh, was a likeable enough lead. I think Christina Applegate makes for... Uh, an amusing villain. Uh, Jada Pinkett got a few laughs out of me as well. Um, but I do think the big thing for me was Kristen Bell, who plays against her sort of established know-it-all type as this sort of downtrodden, stifled young mum who sort of rises to become Kristen Bell. I thought that was quite clever. The stuff in it you'll like, mm. and I don't think anyone's going to come out of it and say it was a bad film. The thing is, it is a it's, a it's a decent comedy. It could have been an amazing comedy. And I think it's, it's, that, it's bad name was two again. You know where Same you, kinda, you have yeah. the opportunity to really delve into some sort of gender stuff here, mm. and you've not quite done it. Number one. What else is it going to be? Finding Dory. J- to take it away. Ten seconds or less. Come on. Uh, I really liked it. I'll put it just under Finding Nemo. Um, it's not right in the top tier of the Pixar films, but it is a really, really good time for adults and the kids. Everyone enjoyed it. You know what? I, I can't really argue. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll probably see it there at number one next week as well. No doubt. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and we're dancing. I should, <laughs> dancing point, out, too hard. I should point out that uh, Case has recently suffered a shoulder injury and uh, yeah. has, has injured himself I attempting was, to dance. I've been suffering for my funk. That's exactly what it is. So, shall we crack on then with... Uh, oh, we've got uh, Ninth Life of Louis Drax. Do you we want to do some film news do, first? Yeah. Do you know what? Let's, let's have a couple of pieces and then let's go see Aaron Paul. Okay, did we talk about Death Wish last week? I don't think we did. I don't think we did, because this has turned up to be Bald Men, the movie. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah. this is Battle of the Bald. Battle That's of the exactly Bald, That's exactly what it's going to be. So you've got Bruce Willis is going to star in a remake of Death Wish, directed by Eli Roth, who brought us Hostel. Yeah. And uh, if, if, you're, if you're too young to know what Death Wish was, it was a film directed by the bloke from the old car insurance adverts, and it starred a man with a moustache and a leather jacket named Charles Bronson. Yeah. And and it was amazingly awesome. Hey, and it, it was 
violent and yeah. visceral, and no one can believe that, uh, hang on, dear, it's just an advert guy directed it. Uh, it's now coming back, Eli Ross doing it, Bruce Willis is starring in it, and it's now also going to star Dean Norris from Breaking Bad. Mm. So uh, Hank Schrader. Hank Schrader is going to be also playing a cop this time around, because why not? Something called Frank... Schroeder. <laughs> Frank, Frank Schroeder. Schroeder. <laughs> and we're going to have Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, best known uh, cool. now, for, I think. For, for militarizing dinosaurs. Militarizing dinosaurs, yeah. yeah. He likes to militarize raptors. And uh, he's also going to be in this. He, he tiptoes, though, on whether or not he's ever bald. Because sometimes he's bald, sometimes, sometimes he's bald, he's sometimes he's not. Is he bald in Magnificent Seven? I don't know. No, he's got a forehead of hair. He's got a forehead. He's of got hair. a hat, and he's got a beard as oh, well. Okay, because he's so. bald in Daredevil for obvious reasons. He's he's, he's the baldest. Yeah, he's he's yeah. awesome. I think Daredevil. his entire body is bald. But well. D'Onofrio is going to be Bruce Willis's brother. Having been having right. recently been Robert Downey Jr.'s brother, he's now going to be Bruce Willis's brother. So what a, what a weird family. He's <laughs> working his way through the yeah. through the spectrum. I think. <laughs> So let's talk about Ninth Life of Louis Drax. Mm, that was yeah. our final uh, broadcast review this week. Which is this is based on the novel by Liz Jensen. So you might have heard of this. Um, this comes by way of Horns director Alejandra Ayer. Mm, I really enjoyed Horns. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It, it was it was the crow for millennials. It was the, was the best way Do you to know put what? it. I could not put it better. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, was, it. It was the crow for the Harry Potter generation. Have we spoken? We'll talk about it in podcast section. Have we got something with the crow by any chance? Yeah, I don't, oh. I don't think we've spoken about it. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll get to we'll, it. We'll talk about that. So this is the story of uh, of Louis Drax, go figure, um, who is nine years old. He's a young, accident-prone boy, and when the movie begins, he is he narrates the opening. In fact, he narrates the whole film. But in the opening, he tells us, like, T.S. Spivet style. If you, if you, did you ever see that? Uh, no, I didn't. I know you did. Great film yeah. by Jean-Pierre Genet, one of the best 3D films ever made. I'm not exaggerating. Um, is a young boy tells us in this dark fairy tale-like style about how he's accident-prone, has been since birth, has had you know light fittings fall on him in the crib, has electrocuted himself with a fork and a pl- plug socket as a toddler, mm. and at age nine has fallen off a cliff. And that is where this movie opens. He has fallen off a cliff. He miraculously survives, but he's sort of comatose. And uh, his doctor, played by Jamie Dornan, a.k.a. hashtag not my Christian, um, <laughs> because you've got to go there. Chef Nottingham from Once Upon a Time. Hashtag not my Christian. <laughs> so hashtag not my Christian is his doctor and uh, starts looking to ways to reach his, his comatose patient, but keeps finding himself diverted by the boy's rather mysterious mother, who's played by Sarah Gaddon from 11, 22, 63. Oh, yeah, for James Franco, Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. she was also uh, the queen in A Royal Night Out. He finds himself distracted by the mom and by what exactly has befallen him in his past. Here's a clip. Mrs. Drax? Yes? I'm Dr. Pascal. I'm a specialist in pediatric coma. I'll be looking after Louis once he's finished his treatment with Dr. Yannick. You know, I, uh, I must congratulate you. Congratulate? No, we're not supposed to use the word miracle in the medical profession, but this might call for an exception. Well, you don't know my son. That's very true. However, I look forward to changing that. 
So do you know who's written this one? This is going to intrigue you. No, I don't. Max Minghella. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember. He was, he was okay. an actor once upon yeah. a time, and now he's evidently a writer. Son, son of Anthony. Son of Anthony. Yeah. Um, th- this is going to be one of those, because there's a lot of fans of the book, apparently, and they are going to be absolutely enthralled by what Alejandro Alexandra Ayer has done to this, which is he's brought the same visual flair to this that he brought to Horns. And Horns was a very imaginative film. Daniel Radcliffe himself was fanatical about the film mm. in, the, in the run-up to its release. Hence, we actually interviewed him at one point, and he didn't want to talk about the film he was being interviewed for. He only wanted to talk about Horns. What film were you interviewed uh, for? What If, I think. Well, so. that explains it. Well, I liked What If. It, anyway, it was okay. beside the point, all, all Radcliffe wanted to talk about was Horns, and it was easy to see why, because it was working with a very visual director, and mm. that visual director has brought the same flair here. What he lacks here is something of a consistency that Horns had, because of its non-linear nature, and the fact this hops all over the timeline as far as uh, Louis Dreyfus goes. Uh, there's no visual tip-off as to what time period you're really working in. Mm. Uh, it, it does take a little bit of getting used to it. It's not a deal-breaker, but... It, you, it does. It is kind of a learning curve, hmm. if you know what I mean. Okay. Um, Jamie Dornan, likable lead here. I actually, I found him actually quite likable. I did, and I didn't expect to. I, I no. he's not an I've, actor I've ever I've, particularly I've not, enjoyed. I've not really kind of warmed to him in anything, but I've not seen the fall yet. So I ah. think that might be the turning point for me. That, that's the thing. Yeah. I haven't told as much. So you've got Aidan Longworth is just this eerily otherworldly he, he he's the kid it just brings this eerily otherworldly like persona to it all and it's uh it, he's a great sort of i would he's almost an antagonist in a way to, to the story which is very strange uh into this mix you've also got oliver platt who's oh, amazing. Some, some great sport from oliver platt who's yeah. the kid psychiatrist and it's that typical oliver platt performance yeah. really fun likable energetic but not overly exertion. he's so underrated he is actor. isn't he yeah. and I, I miss that point in the 90s when he would just always turn up in massive films yeah. yet wasn't a star i i thought he would have been a good version of kingpin yes vincent Nofio well, actually that, that could have worked yeah. because i could have seen him being terrifying in mm. a sort of off offbeat way yeah um this film though really belongs to sarah gadon as as the mum. she is terrific Kills because it. there's a lot of nuance a lot of layering to her performance mm. and her character that you never quite know where you stand with her. It's never quite what you expect. I like that about it. Um, it, to say, it it's kind of like Lovely Bones, What Dreams May Come and T.S. Spivet, all rolled into one package, but it's nowhere near as ludicrously self-indulgent as, for instance, The Lovely Bones. I mean, for all, for all its faults, What Dreams May Come is a more straight-laced, coherent film than The Lovely Bones. And this is kind of the nice counterpoint. I would say if you found Lovely Bones too, too self-indulgent, go with this. You're in for a good mm. time. Um, it's an odd movie. <laughs> I can't deny that. But it's one of the most interesting ones you'll find this year. It's about 20 minutes too long. I don't deny that. But it is interesting. The biggest downside it has is it's one of those films that juggles so many balls in the air at any one time that you have to wait until all of its narrative threads start to come together late in the game before you really know whether or not you're enjoying it. So you watch this hour and 40-something minute long film, hour and 48 minute long film, I think it is, and you will probably spend about a good hour and 15 minutes trying to work out whether or not you're enjoying it. That is kind of a problem. But I say I liked it. I did. It made me believe about me for Jamie Dornan. So I know he can do good work now. And I am going to try and watch the fall. Yeah, me too. Me too. So it's not film of the week. I wonder what is. I think we got, oh, it's going to have to be Sausage Party. Yeah, sure. Definitely. We can't give definitely. it to uh, War Dogs again this week. So we'll. Oh, Pop <laughs> Star. Do we love what? Yeah, Pop, Pop, Pop Star. Star. I know you did. It, I know it was tired of Pop Star and War Dogs last week. And we went to Sausage Party this week. 
and uh, I, I say I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing it what, again. What other contenders for next week? Well, next week we've got some interesting ones. Next week we've got oh, uh, Matthew Almerick's directorial debut, The Blue Room, mm. which I got to see if, yeah. about a month ago. That that's next week. Uh, we've got Theo and Hugo, which I know very little about. I think we we've been sent that. I think, we have been sent. Yeah. Um, we have Captain Fantastic. <laughs> Vic, oh, Vicky Mortz. Vicky Mortz. Vicky Mortz is back. Vicky Mortz dying. Vicky Mortz is back as a cool. non-Marvel superhero. No. And uh, we have, it's not a superhero. We have uh, the remake of Ben-Hur is upon us. <laughs> so this could either Excellent. be brilliant, it could be awful, or it could be just a bit of cheese in between. Hey, do you know who's in it? Uh, Pilau uh, Aspect. Oh, from uh, a, yeah, war. a War. Was it A War? No. Is it A War? I think it was A War. Where, he, where he's been interrogated. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. I want to see that so again. He and he's awesome. He's in, in Game of Thrones now as well. Is he in Game of Thrones? He plays the uh, evil, evil Greyjoy. Build me ships. I don't live on an island with trees. Yes, I remember. Yes, that guy. yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, Anthropoid with the uh, Silly Murphy. Oh yeah, that's next week. Yeah. Uh, Kubo I, and the Two Strings, which oh, I know you're going to be excited wait about. For that. Of course you are. Wait. Of course you're excited about it. I love Laika. Because it's Laika. Yeah. Uh, we've I, got. I like a Laika. You like a Laika. We've also got Hell or High Water. Chris Pine goes western. I've heard good things about From that. From the writer of Sicario. Yeah. That's what I've heard. <laughs> do you know uh, do you know about the writer of Sicario? Uh, well, I've not met him personally. No, Taylor Sheridan, the writer of Sicario, mm. was an actor. He starred in the first two series of Sons of Anarchy. He was the town uh, deputy. And, yeah. Oh really? Yeah, he was the town deputy in Sons of Anarchy. I never knew that. Small world. Until Sicario. Yeah. Um, and we've also got Don't Breathe, which is the <laughs> almost Daredevil-like horror movie. Yeah. With Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang's a blind guy. Stephen Lang and uh, oh, who's my boy from uh, Goosebumps? Oh, oh. I like that kid. And he's in the film of the terrible, Dylan, horrible title. Oh. Alexander the Terrible Nogu. Dylan Minnette. Dylan Minnette. Dylan Minnette. He's Good my boy, pull. man. He's my boy. So, uh, yeah, so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. Uh, this has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been, as always, Case Allen. And we leave you this week with news that the seminal science fiction movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day is to finally receive its long awaited and much demanded 3D re release. Because we all know James Cameron, no one knows the Terminator franchise quite like you, and your endorsement of Terminator Genesis. We'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extras, Mr. Allen. Oh, so much film news we left uncovered. Mm. We left so much on the table. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Karen Gillan's got a new job. She's going to be starring in Jumanji. Jumanji? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, she is. As is. Oh, oh uh, hang on. Too manji. Oh, come on, oh, Dwayne. You've got to call it that. Come on, DJ. Make this happen, man. Do it. Yeah, come on. Oh. Too manji. How do you, how do you um, not do that? Who's he uh, Nick Jonas. Oh, yeah, Nick, Nick Jonas. Well. He got announced. Yeah. So we've now got Dwayne Johnson. That's, that's Kevin the five. Hart, that's the five Jack that he said. They're looking for five people, including himself. Ah, that kind of works. Let's round it out. Meanwhile, we're going to have a Fault in Our Stars reunion on the X Men franchise. Oh, really? So, Josh Boone, who directed Fault in Our Stars, is doing New Mutants. Mutants, Uh, The writers of that film are going to be writing the screenplay, apparently closely with him. So, uh, yeah. So, So, Ansel Elgort might be showing up or something. I I would say that's a decent chance now that Ansel Elgort might actually get it. So, yeah, there's that. Oh, Intouchables. We've got to talk about that. that yeah, that's that's got a that's got a burger. It has got a burger. So, yeah. the, we should just say, if anyone doesn't know, The Intouchables was a brilliant French dramedy. What was it, about two years ago? 18 oh, months longer ago? Longer than that. Well, I think we reviewed it about 18 months ago, I'm sure. 
We we didn't because I was oh, no, in no, Cardiff. No, no, I was it, it was before X Men: Days of Future Past. So yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. It oh, was right. it was three, if not four years ago. Wow, I thought it was still more recent than that. No. So it, it made it made a star of Omar Sy for one thing. It did, yeah. And but you remember from just showing up in just films for five minutes. No. Yeah, he, he made, yeah, he's made a habit of that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Jurassic World, but uh, oh yeah. yeah. But basically, this is it, it's it's a comedy, it's a dramedy about uh, you know a guy from the street who is hired to be what do you say the carer for a quadriplegic man, a wealthy. The American remake is going to star Kevin Hart as the man from the street and Brian Cranston as the man in the chair. Mm. And it's going to be amazing. It was going to be directed by Simon Curtis. Yeah, it was. It was also going to have Colin Firth in the chair at one point. Was it? Yeah. I could could see that. I I don't know if I can see Kevin Hart. I've definitely warmed to Kevin Hart Mm. in the last couple of years, but he's now... He's now Kevin Hart, isn't he? He's a mass, massive, huge comedy rock star. I, I don't see him being a man like, from the street. That's it. I feel like they're going to go for slightly more dramatic chops, I think, in the in the English language remake. I feel like they're going to oh, try and edge it a little bit, I feel like. I hope so. I don't want them to up the comedy. So here's where it gets interesting. So mm. when Simon Curtis was directing it, it was going to have a screen. It had a screenplay written by Paul Fagg. Oh, really? I it know did, that. yeah. Neil Berger, who directed the, di- the first Divergent movie, he stepped up to now replace Simon Curtis, and uh, they're chucking that out. He's going to have his own writers on it. So they, they binned a script by Paul Fake. I mean, I mean is it, was see. Ghostbusters that bad? I mean, really? Well, the chances of us seeing the sequel to that are pretty slim now. Yes, I think yeah. it's deemed a financial loss, isn't it? It, it is officially. It lost something like 80 mil. Oh, I think that's what it is. That's a shame. Cool. So, right, moving on to things that are bound not to lose any money. Go on. Uh, the Batman film. <laughs> the Batman. The yeah. Batman. As it's been known, it's. I think that's. I think sort it is going to be the Batman. The Batman. Hmm. Don't know if I like that. We'll we'll see. Uh, that apparently has its villain now. Ah, yes, I've yeah. heard this. So, um, over the weekend, I believe it was, uh, Batfleck tweeted out a little video teaser clip hmm. uh, of a character. That character was. Deathstroke. Slade Wilson. Slade Wilson, who we know from being played by Manu Bennett. Manu Bennett in Arrow, Arrow. yeah, that's true. I also remember in Smallville, he was played by uh, Colonel Ty from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Which was just weird, weird casting. But he's, he's apparently going to be the main... The main big big bat. It, it, it kind of works, but you have got a militarized Batman. So the idea of a you know jack of all trades, weapon enhanced assassin mm. kind of works for a villain. That works. I, I do course. like Slade. So so let's let's do a, a final review real quick. Then before yeah. we come back, we'll, we'll polish off the news when we're done. Uh, let's talk about uh, Chicklet, uh, which is the latest from uh, director Terry Britton. You won't particularly know his work. Uh, he seems to have done a lot of TV work. This is the story of four middle aged men. Well, one of them a bit younger, but mostly middle-aged men who hang out in a countryside pub called the Honey Bell and play dominoes. And when <laughs> when their pub is threatened with being closed down for financial reasons, they find themselves in a position where they need to raise 300 grand to save it. This coincides with one of, them, one of the men, who's a journalist, being asked to investigate the phenomenon of mummy porn, because this movie apparently takes place in 2011. And uh, he decides that he and his chums could give it a go, because there's nothing to this mummy porn thing, apparently. Uh, they can all write a book together, and they'll use the millions they take in to save the pub. So when, when you say mummy porn, are we talking like a Fifty Shades? We of... are talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades um, of Grey, Grey, Grey-haired it's men. Based on, I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is briefly semi-name-checked. It is mostly referred to through the through a fictional book called mm. "She Came in Chains," <laughs> and which, believe me, is the only gag in the film which 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 lands. Yeah. Here, here's a clip that tells you kind of what we're dealing with. I have a question for you. 
mummy porn. Something nasty that they publish for women of a certain age. My wife developed a strange obsession with reading these books. You have your dominoes. This is my relaxation. So why don't we become chick litters? Or better still, mummy porns. Well, it can't be that hard. Can I only need a computer? <laughs> I suggest that we all write a couple of pages of purple prose. Bring it next week and see if we can join it up. Nobody must know about this. So, yeah. And you the, loved it, didn't you? You know, loved it. Did the clip not inspire you to give it a go? What, writing mummy porn? Well, I've, well, I've, I've never tried. Uh, funnily enough, sitting and writing mummy porn would be a lot more fun than watching this film. <laughs> the problem is, okay, first of all, it's five years out of date. So, you know, you've got this thing about watching a film about mummy porn as if it's a current thing. It's, it's about as edgy as, you know, QR codes and name-dropping Lost. You know, you know how even the American comedies have given up on the idea of name dropping Lost. Well, now, now that's because we've got Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Game of Thrones is the new thing you name that's drop. That's the new name drop. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And this stars Christian McKay, who you know, I, I was shocked to find out he's a British actor. I know him mostly from American things. Oh yeah, well he's he's in Rush as well. He's in Rush. Yeah, he's yeah. in Tinker Tailor. He's from a film I Me really love. That's it. A film yeah. I really love called I Melt with You. Yeah, you told me about that. That's which really is good, a great yeah. movie. And everyone, if you've never seen it, please watch I Melt mm. with You because it needs. An Quite audience under the radar. It was under yeah. the radar, and it had a hell of a cast. It starred Rob Lowe, Tom Jane, Jeremy Piven. Jess it's Piff. a way, way better movie than this. <laughs> and yeah, so you know, name dropping QR yeah. codes and Lost is about as edgy as this. Yeah. Hasn't this um, one got uh, Johnny Hurts? That's the thing. This is what I was going to get to. The yeah. biggest achievement in it is that someone managed to persuade John Hurt to put in cameo. Yeah. And whoever did <clears throat> deserves a commendation as the salesman of the year. Mm. Because I have no idea how you would pitch this movie to John Hurt, to an actor of John Hurt's statue, to ask mm. him to show up in this. As a character named Mr. Boner is... <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not so much laughing at the film. I'm just laughing at the word boner. <laughs> it's true, and just wow. I mean, this is a collaborative effort by uh, by by you know the director and his son, and they they've co-written the script together. And in the production notes, it tells you that they had the idea in 2011. And you're like, yes, because that was when this was a thing, and. No, because if you, even if you'd released this in 2011, it still would have been a bland, mm. unfunny comedy full of these thinly sketched performances, <clears throat> hampered by the fact that nobody has a character to speak of, and its narrative is a jumbled mess. There is this J.T. Leroy aspect to the plot, incidentally, mm. where they have to, once the book takes on, uh, you know, t- actually goes to publishers and takes on love, they have to actually present an avatar for the author. So they hire, Christian McKay hires his, his sister-in-law. There's this weird thing where she's introduced at the beginning of the film, very briefly, doesn't pop up again, and halfway through the movie she's there, apparently being given a terminal diagnosis, which never comes up again. And then all of a sudden, she's like this manic schizophrenic who turns up for the last 15 minutes to have a sort of weird romance subplot, Mm. which, again, comes out of nowhere. There's this other bit when she goes on television and lampoons Christian McKay's character, which again comes out of nowhere. Nothing about it makes sense. Nothing about it is edgy. Nothing about it is funny. Nothing about it is entertaining. I, I, honest to God, it's about as fun as watching a hamster lobotomy. It's just not in any way entertaining. And, and frankly, it, 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 it's, a, it's a, a really amusing to me. Mm. It's a film so terrified of sex that the idea that this is a British... You know in Family Guy, when they do that thing where they joke about British porn? Yeah. <laughs> meet, meet the movie answer to that. Mm. Meet the movie born of that joke. 
This is this is a movie in which if you showed an erection to any of the characters in it, they would recoil in horror and flee the building. It is just so... I mean, I mean, I'm watching it thinking, if ever a movie should be packaged in a Waitrose carrier bag, it's this. Good God! That's what you carry the, the DVD around then. You, 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 this, yeah. this, this, this movie gets carried around solely in a Waitrose carrier bag because that's who it's aimed at. It's aimed at people who buy buy Waitrose Essentials halloumi. That that's mm. the only that's the psychology behind it. it Do you know what annoys me about that as awful. well? Go on. The, the Waitrose essential halloumi hmm. that that basically says this is just like our day to day halloumi. We've got. Better halloumi. Better halloumi. We've got your your special like brand weekend halloumi. Got exotic halloumi. Exotic halloumi. Isn't it fascinating that talking about halloumi is actually more interesting than than chicken? I'm having a good time, but that's because I I do just love halloumi. Who doesn't love halloumi, man? Oh, grill a bit of sweet sweet chili sauce. Breadcrumbs. You make like you know the mozzarella sticks. You make those with halloumi. Oh, it's incredible. A thing now. Yeah. I've yeah. I've not made them, but I've tried them out and about. I I am. Oh no, I did. I did try them. I tried them at a branch of Bills in. I went to yeah, Bill's for the first time recently in yeah, Sheffield. Yeah. It was good. Shout out to Bill's. Oh, do we have one in Sheffield? I don't realise. We do, yeah. It's near the Peace Gardens. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. realise. Do, I'll, do, I'll do, be do, sure. Do you know where Smoke is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So this is all more interesting than, than <laughs> yeah, chicken. It's, it's reminding me what a great city we live in and all the food that we can sample in our great city. You see yourself. I'm off to London. <laughs> So yeah, Chitlet is bloody awful. Uh, don't watch it. It's going to be on. It's one of those films that's going to be on like Channel Five, uh, like seven PM on a Sunday one day, and no one's going to care. Yeah. And everyone just turns over and watches Top Gear, starring presumably Guy Martin by then. But uh, yeah, I'm sure Guy Martin's going to host at some point. Yeah. Did you know who'd make a better host than Chris Evans? James Martin. But anyway. <clears throat> So, hey, he's, he's not inside the kitchen anymore. He's not, he's not. But why aren't the hairy bikers taking over? Anyway, we're going really off topic, so yeah. we've got any more Right, films? we do. I have a couple of pieces, and then we'll probably have to wrap it up. But, um, right, Julian Temple. Julian Temple. Oh, yes, father, I heard about this. Father of Juno. He has a film coming out. Okay, go on. I, I knew you are looking forward to I this really news. I really am, because he's doing a musical biopic slash documentary yeah. about Suggs for right. madness. How, how high off your face did your eyebrows leap when you read that? <laughs> Uh, pretty pretty far. Like it's, it's Mill Millhouse Simpsons. Which is, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty great. Like I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Julian Temple. No, no, no. Oh, no, not, okay. not, not really, but I do love Suggs. I, I have a bit of film news I gotta give Go you. On. Um because I'm very happy about this. Um you know Ocean's Ocho. I do. Have you heard who's completed the Ocho? I have. It is none yeah. other than Sarah Pauls, who's obviously an, a huge upcoming star because of American Horror Story, because of the people versus O.J. Simpson. Basically, her collaborations with Ryan Murphy. And the strange thing to me is, I know her mostly as a hologram in Serenity, and as uh, the the love interest in the single season of Studio Sixty, in which she was course, yeah. awesome. Yeah, but well, uh, she was she was incredible in uh, in the O.J. Oh, the O.J. She's such yeah, a good martial like artist. She, yeah, she she's been around for years and years and years fantastic, wonderful, underrated character actress. And that's just kind of skyrocketed her. It and has. No 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 wonder. Like this uh this role's come come knocking. I think it's I think it's the role that Elizabeth Banks was in negotiations for because now she's directing every film ever. Mm. She she can't do it. But um yeah that's a bloody excellent Well Sarah choice. Paulson is going to be in a very intriguing new T V series in this next year. Uh, also so. with Ryan Murphy. Uh, produced by Ryan Murphy, oh, which yeah. is, uh, is feuds for, yeah. called feuds, and it's going to be uh, it's going to chart. It's going to be the first one is going to be Betty Davis and oh god, who is it? It's it's the Baby Jane girls. Yeah, it's the Baby Jane characters, and so it's going to have Sarah Paulson. It's also going to have Catherine Zeta Jones in it. Oh really? Yeah, oh yeah. As They're a, getting some as, big names. Um, she's going to be Olivia de Havilland. 
Right. Uh, we're also going to have Stanley Tucci as Jack Warner. Oh, my God. Incredible. <laughs> did that, Amazing. Did that float your boat, did it? It really did. It, it did. really, really did. Um, one of the pieces I, I did find uh, incredibly intriguing is... Uh, do you know the actress Jenny Mullen? Name rings a bell. Right. You, you never watched uh, Buffy and Angel, I don't think, did you? The uh, viewer episode. Okay, well, for those who don't know, at the very end of Angel, they do briefly introduce a love interest for him, a werewolf named Nina. She's played by an actress called Jenny Mullen. I'd never really seen her in anything else. She has turned up in other films throughout the years, but I've never really recognised that it was her. She's now married to Jason Biggs, and they, oh. have, they have a son together named Sid. And the reason the reason I know that this... That kid is called Sid Biggs. That's Sid a Biggs? great name. Sid, that's an amazing name, isn't Sid it? Sid Biggs. What was uh, the guy's brother's name that we liked? The musician? Oh, uh, Rusty Squats. Rusty Squats. Vin- Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell's Vinnie brother, Cassell. Rusty Squats. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, Jenny Mullen, who's married to uh, Jason Biggs, uh, wrote she became something of a writer. She actually wrote a lot of articles for Playboy. She put a novel out a few years ago and then did a follow-up. The first novel is called I Like You Just The Way I Am. That is currently being okay. made into a TV series by ABC Digital, which is going to start her as a fictionalised version of herself. Mm. The second book, however, which is also a New York Times bestseller, as well as the first, is instead called uh, Live Fast, Die Hot. Right? And it charts... It charts right. her uh, having her child and having to grow up, mm. basically having to become responsible. And she travels the world and tries to conquer her anxiety because she's afraid of traveling alone, things like that. Mm. This is now being turned into a movie by Warner Brothers mm. and is being designed as a starring vehicle for Anne Hathaway, yeah. which I can actually kind of see. Whoever's a Will Hathaway is a... Yeah, yeah. Well, where there's a will, there's a Hathaway. There's yeah, Hathaway, exactly. Yeah. And Hathaway, and Hathaway, and Hathaway. Exactly. So yeah. live fast, die hot, starring Anne Hathaway. What could possibly go wrong? See this? That could be. My, all right. my only yeah, question that sounds is, interesting. who do you get to play Jason Biggs? Let's let's go nuts and hire Finch. But uh... <laughs> just get Jason Biggs. Let's <laughs> get Jason Biggs. Okay, my my last one is go actually on. going back to my first one, the the Deathstroke. Oh, okay, go on. go on. Right. So there's a rumor of who could play Deathstroke, and I said this. Ages ago, and I'm sure I said this to you. Go on. There's a rumor it? it's going to be played uh, by Joe Manganiello. Ooh, yes, I could see that. Yeah, I said that ages ago. Yeah, I, not, I could not even thinking that. that he would be in a film. Just in my head, I was like, oh yeah, because he's he got be the physical point. presence. I think he's got the physicality. He does, but not just that. He is a cracking actor as well. He's not just got cracking abs, which he does have. Banging he's, abs, man. Just banging, banging abs. abs. Banging abs. You, jo- you, you go, Sophia. Joe Manganiello. Go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they are just. Quite the handsome couple, aren't they? They are, they are. Yeah. I, I would imagine anyone who was married to Sofia Vergara would, would have to be, you know, a specimen of man. Yeah, and he honest. is. And he seems like a really nice dude as well. And also, I'll be honest, that, that video from Magic Mike XXL with him in the supermarket, which keeps popping up on my Facebook feed with the caption, How to Please a Lady. Um, what, just be John Maganello? Just be John Maganello. That always That's amuses easy. me. That yeah. always amuses me, that video. So i, I got to give him that. But yeah. uh, so uh, that's really it, and, and we, we've, we've ended on a note of amusement. So let's let's carry that through. Oh, we what? didn't talk about the crow. We didn't talk about the crow. What was the crow? The crow. We you're, ruining, crow. you're ruining the moment of amusement. Go on. What's I'm the crow? So, I'm sorry. We'll go back to it because you have to amuse me again. That's the thing. Jason Momoa. Oh, is yeah, going to be the crow, yeah. and we didn't talk about it because we were off when it was when it was broken. That's true. Yeah, Jason Momoa's going to be. The crow, at, at, at least for now, he's going to be the crow. But there's <laughs> a picture the of him and the director. He's the crow this month. He's the crow. He's the crow. He's the crow, he's the crow, of the the crow this month. Okay, Luke Evans was the crow one. Tom month. Hiddleston was the crow. Bradley Cooper was a crow. I one know. Month. So um, was James McAvoy. James McAvoy was the crow yeah. one month. But um, this seems like it's actually gaining traction. And there was a picture of him showing a pint of Guinness 
yeah. with uh, Corin Hardy. Corin Hardy, yeah. yeah. And also, coincidentally, there's now been a Guinness named after Jason Momoa because he's such a big fan it's of, a, a, of a, Guinness. A Guinness Momoa? A Guinness Momoa. <laughs> it sounds like a really fruit it, cocktail. It comes, it comes with some fruit on the top and a cocktail umbrella. That's what it is. That, yeah, that's and, the Momoa. And Carl Drogo's Instead of the clover that they put in the foam, they've just put a trident. That's oh all. my God, that's genius. <laughs> Okay, so okay, you brought it back to the amusement factor. We brought it back. Well done, well done, Casey. This is this is me done. That's oh. it. And here it is, your moment of cage. Some of the sex scenes are wild at heart were quite raunchy, weren't they? Uh, the sex scenes are kind of wild, but but I think that actually the sex is uh, it's very sweet, it's very pure, it's uh, it's uh, it's not an exploitive kind of sexuality. I think it's a celebration of sexuality. It's kind of like saying that. If you're really in love, it's cool to have radical sex.